Today on the Topping Show, Bud Light loses its number one beer of the year to Modelo. Snow White actress is sad that you know that she's insufferable. Keanu Reeves is called fat by the same people who say you must worship with Lizzo. Vivek Guamasrame and his plan to drain the swamp. Trump gets an endorsement from Alaska. UPS Union votes yes for the drivers to make $170,000 per year. Macy's new idea for micro stores is doing well. GM crews, they're cutting their fleet by about 50% due to the accidents. Dick's Sporting Goods, their stock just crashes as their profits disappear. And Food Line has a recall for contaminated vegetables. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. Excuse me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, need those assistance, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're running a fun promo. We're giving away a free flamethrower for all sales in August. See this uh, website for additional details. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have the UPS union voting yes for drivers to make $170,000 per year. Now, this was previously proposed from UPS corporate, so you had to have the union ratify it, aka to vote and say, oh yeah, we do want to make this preposterous amount of money. Now, the union said in terms of the breakdown that 86% of members voted yes for this five-year contract, which is now actually being put retroactive to August 1st. So they'll get a little bonus for the time that they worked between August 1st and now. And it looks like it's the largest margin in favor of a contract ever at the company. Well, yeah, I was about to say that's that's probably not too surprising. Who wouldn't want to make $170,000 a year to drive a truck? Don't get me wrong. I know that's not every single employee. There's different metrics that go into that. But, and of course, yes, that includes benefits, but it still costs the stockholders and the employees, and more importantly, the customers, that the amount of breakdown doesn't matter to the end user or any of them. Now, it looks like the union participation rate in terms of actually who participated in the vote, 58% of all the union members actually did cast a vote. And they say that's, that's actually a record as well in terms of the number of people actually voting. It is Kind of that in a lot of places you're forced to be in union or coerced. And sometimes by law, they force you to be in a union and pay dues, which actually just go to politicians many times. But nevertheless, if you're forced to be in something, kind of like how you're forced to pay federal income taxes, why wouldn't you vote? I mean, that's one of the few benefits you have left. So personally, I always am astonished by the voting turnout rates for many of these things. But nevertheless, it looks like this has all the support of the union leaders. It was like 16 to one, or no, 161 to one vote in favor of the deal. This is from Teamsters President Sean O'Brien, and he called it, quote, the best, con- the best contract in the history of UPS, unquote. Which, yes, of course it is. That's more than people make in IT or many of the jobs that you, we would think of that we used to consider college-level education jobs. I mean, $170,000 per year, that's astronomical. And overall, it looks like it's going to increase the labor cost by more than 3% per year and keep in mind it's a five-year contract. I feel terrible for the UPS franchise owners because more often than not, an overwhelming majority of the time, I believe all stores or nearly all stores, they're all owned by mom and pop shops. So if you go to your local UPS store in the little shopping suite, it's not owned by a corporate UPS, which I believe is headquartered out of Pennsylvania. It's usually owned by a local mom and pop. So that's where I like to establish, or that's rather, when I look to where I'm going to invest my money and where I spend my money, I like to shop locally. So that's one of the reasons I like to go to my local UPS because I know the owners, the family's really great. They help, you know, help the company out. They make life pretty easy with shipping. 
I can't imagine what's this going to do to the shipping rates. And again, one of the things that used to the detriment to many unions, in my opinion, is the short-term visions. Because this dude, they will win in the short term, absolutely. But what's the overall picture of this situation? You have Amazon.com growing exponentially with their own offering in the freight industry. I believe it was five or six years ago, they already started buying their own Boeing, I think, 737s. As well as, we all know, you have more and more of those Amazon trucks everywhere, too. And that represents a pretty significant part of UPS's business. And you have more third parties selling on Amazon more and more and more. And they're going to be using Amazon's shipping as well. Granted, you don't have to, I believe, by default. You actually can get it from the mirror out of uh, shippers. But it won't be long until... I can't think of a business reason why Amazon wouldn't choose to have that subsidiary or that part of the business take on additional business where even if you're not selling Amazon, you just ship through them. Once you build out the logistics, it seems like the money just easily to be made. You just expand it a little bit more for the capacity. So it'll be interesting to see how, how much will this help out FedEx and other competitors and DHL. Let me know in the comments. Do you think it's going to be a, really a good thing for UPS long term? You also have internal struggles. So you have actually internal corporate employees, like in IT, or online. There's a couple websites like Glassdoor.com where you can review your employer. And on that site, they're saying they're pretty much irate because they got you know fifty, seventy, hundred thousand dollars in student loans for a computer science degree, and they're working at you know UPS corporate, maybe making one hundred fifty grand a year, and they got a driver making one seventy k a year. That that's that's going to cause either two things to happen. One, it'll cause there to be more friction between employees and relations. It's not going to be good for morale. Or two, it's going to cause you to increase the cost of that department as well. Because they're going to use that as a justification of why they deserve more money. So that's going to be another detriment to this situation. And that being said, I mean, the union ratified it. It's going forward, uh, of course. But it'll be interesting to see what's the long-term effect of this and how will it ripple throughout the community. As I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting businesses, you have Macy's, new small stores, doing quite well, actually. Now, Macy's is probably one of the most, probably one of the most um, established companies in the United States, kind of a staple of Americana. They've been around forever. It's a kind of a staple of culture, the Macy's Days Parade. They've sponsored some of the best things out there. And ironically, I don't think personally I've ever stepped into a Macy's in the past 15 years. Granted, I usually just buy, you know, one good suit, make it last forever. But... That's just me, uh, although some might call me a fashion icon just because, you know, pick once, you pick it right, you're good for life. But I digress. It looks like they also own Bloomingdale's, which is apparently doing all right as well. But Macy's is moving away from the traditional strategy, which they used to be an anchor store, very similar to JCPenney, as well as Sears. Now, an anchor store back in the day, one of the big cultural phenomena in the United States, especially, was malls. They were the thing back in the day. You'd go there, hit up what I used to do as a child. You'd go there, go to the GameStop, get your N64 accessories, look at the Spencer's gift shops, look, give a weary eye to the Hot Topic place employees, and kind of just wonder what on earth is going on there. But it was a fascinating thing, and they called it an anchor store because they would usually be one of the first businesses to sign on or agree to a lease, and that would help incentivize other businesses to sign on for the smaller suites inside the malls, hence anchor store. Now, those have not been doing great lately, so they've been shifting their strategy. Now they're doing more micro stores. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And it, it's been doing pretty well. Now, this is coming from the CEO, uh, Jeff Ginellet. 
with an interview with uh, CNBC, and they noted that they were outperforming the um, Macy's and Bloomingdale's have outperformed both the uh, 10 micro stores have outperformed the larger stores in 10 instances, which pretty impressive. Can't say most companies are doing that well these days. And it looks like they're going to plan to open two or three of these. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, I try not to laugh, but uh, this isn't a joke. They're, they're planning to open stores in Boston, which, okay, but here's a joke. Los Angeles and San Diego, which if you know anything about retail, one of the biggest detriments to retail right now is rampant, unprosecuted crime and theft. The shrink in retail is exponentially terrible these days. We're talking billions. Target alone, the estimates think they're going to lose $400 million just to theft. It is terrible. And you have these cities where people, you, you get what you vote for. People vote for these district attorneys that don't prosecute crime. They actually decriminalized, or they rather changed the classification of theft up to $950 in California. I forgot the proper number, but it basically turned it from a felony to a misdemeanor if you steal that amount. And they just kind of brush it off. They didn't prosecute it. So opening up a store there, I don't know. Why would you ever want to open up a store in San Diego is beyond me. And I do apologize. My, I was going to say my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. I'm, let me know in the comments if you know a good teleprompter. I'm currently using monitors, which is a lot better than looking at my laptop. Thanks to the comments, so you'll be able to increase quality show. But it looks like it was Los Angeles. That was wrong. It's actually Las Vegas. Makes a little bit more sense. A lot more tourists go there. A little bit less crime. Well, depending on how you define crime. But that might be a little bit more appropriate of a choice. But it's actually see San Diego. They're not, they're not as bad as, you know, San Francisco, of course, but the, still the trend in that area is questionable at best. So I'd be interested to see if that store makes a profit. I, I venture to say probably not, but it's interesting to see when I think of Macy's, I always thought of like the biggest, you know, big store with all your clothing. So to go to a micro store is an interesting concept, but one of the biggest costs with all these stores is the real estate, the square footage price. Cause more often than not, most businesses in retail, they don't own the store physically. They usually have a lease. Sometimes it's a five-year lease, 10, 20. Some even have like a hundred-year lease. And I, I know um, back in the day, Sears would do that quite often. Parts because people thought it was a staple that would never go away. Well, times surely changed in that regard. But if you're interested, let me know, when's the last time you actually shopped at Macy's? I, again, I don't think I've ever, unless as a child, I don't think I've ever stepped foot in there. But it'll be interesting to see, time shall tell. Other interesting business use, you have General Motors cutting your fleet of the crews by 50%. Now, this is also a great example of terrible marketing. The Chevy Cruze used to be a car, and that was C-R-U-Z. And truth be told, I thought it was an awesome car. It was a Chevy Cruze Eco, which it actually came with a stick shift made in Austria. I believe the engine was made in the United States, but the transmission was Austria. That was one of my first cars. I, I love that little thing. And you actually would get like 45 miles per gallon. And it had a straight, you know, inline four engine. Never had too many issues with that. Nice little Chevy Cruze Eco with a stick shift. It was a good little thing. Now, granted, the automatic had, it did have some reliability issues with the automatic transmission. They had some recalls with that. But I would actually kind of blame the consumer. Why would you ever buy an automatic transmission? Three pedals is the way to be. But I digress. GM decided we're going to go into the autonomous vehicle category, which does make sense. I know every automotive company is doing this. They think it's the new gold. It'll be the new new thing in tech. Although you could also debate, if you look at the contracts with Uber and Lyft, are those companies they themselves are going to develop their own? But 
maybe they'll pseudo compete or work together. It'll be interesting to see how those contracts play out in the competition. But a lot of automotive companies are striving for that, and consumers, I suppose, they're already dead inside. They just want to be, they want a robot to take them everywhere. So instead of having three pedals, as every car should, they'll basically have no pedals because the computer will do it for them. But I'm clearly not the target audience. I know some people are emotionally dead inside. I am only 85% kidding. But GM decided to say, okay, we're going to have our own autonomous vehicle fleet. We're going to call it Cruise. Which, again, it, now that one is actually spelled differently. So I think the, the one that is autonomous is C-R-U-I-S-E. So at least they changed the spelling. But nevertheless, marketing fail for the day. I, F, I, I give it a D minus, actually. Because the name is catchy, but... If anyone's in the market for a used vehicle, I think they, they killed the Chevy Cruze. But still, it's confusing. You made the Cruze, now you have a services Cruze, but I digress, marketing is not their forte. Now, it looks like California authorities actually asked GM to immediately take out some of their vehicles because some of the Cruze robo-taxis, well, they got in some accidents, including hitting a fire truck, which, of all the things to hit, a fire truck? How bad is your software? It, I know, I work in tech, I know these things are much more complex than they seem, but that's the biggest thing you could possibly hit. Like, it'd be one thing if you hit a smart car. Those are basically micro-machines, they're legal toys. But hitting a fire truck? That, that is a hilariously preposterous thing to happen. But the software, I'm sure, will improve. So this means, and again, this is gonna be a detriment to them in terms of gathering data, because San Francisco just recently, they announced they were gonna allow this autonomous capabilities 24-7. And very few cities allow it, yet alone 24-7. So that was it. the vote came in, I believe it was a six to five to four vote last week. It was a relative, or no, five to three vote. It was relatively close, I thought, with the, but they allowed the, the rule to pass. So this allows them to, you know, work those things out 24-7. But now that they got these accidents, the cities or the state's saying, hey, we need to cut your capacity down like 50%. So that means they're allowed to have no more than 50 driverless vehicles in operation during the day. And, but I, they, I guess they can operate 150 at night. So that's gonna be a huge detriment. One of the reasons Tesla's worth so much money is because of the data. A lot of people will, de people will argue to the red in the face that they were a tech company, not an automotive company. And given Elon's background and given all the logistics and all the data gathering that goes into the vehicles, I think that's a fair assessment. You look at all the telemetry, all the geographical data that they're gathering, there's a lot of proprietary info in there. I'm sure they can also sell to the government for a pretty penny, or the government can just force them to give it to them. But if you have half your fleet gone, that means your competitors, and I forget the name of the major competitor in San Francisco right now is testing autonomous vehicles, but they have quite literally about, or maybe infinitely more opportunity than you. Because it doesn't, I don't know if there's a limit on those other vehicle companies. And the name of the game is, especially if you're in a beta mode and it's something you're trying to mass produce, you need as much data as possible from the testing. So if you have much or fewer testing points, you're going to take much longer to get the same results or much longer to gather the same amount of data. So definitely not great news for General Motors. They also have that big UAW contract, the United Auto Workers contract right around the corner. I believe that is in. It's, it's, it's getting closer and closer. That has investors worried as well. Warren Buffett just sold about half of his investment in General Motors. So I believe he went down from 40, 400, no, it was that 40,000 shares? No, no, it's more than that. He has 40 million shares to 22 million shares. He has a lot of shares, but he cut it in about in half. And I can't help but think there are a few reasons for that. This is probably one of them as well as this 
the initiative hasn't been going great for them. And they had a couple issues prior as well. But it'll be interesting to see where GM goes from here. Now, other interesting business news, you have Dick's Sporting Goods profits crash and their stock just goes down 41% in about a day. So earlier this week, their stock went down precisely 24.14% on Tuesday. Now, despite this, despite sales increasing by 3.6%. So let's see, sales went, sales went up by 3.6%. I wonder what the issue is. Well, according to their brilliant CEO, Lauren Hubert, she said, quote, our second quarter profitability was short of our expectations due in large part to the impact of elevated inventory shrink, an increasingly serious issue impacting many real retailers, unquote. Well, who would have thought theft, if not prosecuted, is bad? I, I could have never imagined if, if only the store employees could defend themselves. Oh wait, I forgot, the company is notoriously anti-gun. They actually famously, I believe it was after the Sandy Hook incident, they actually destroyed $5 million of black rifles as a protest. And then they claimed that, oh yeah, it's, we're doing this because we care, we're socially aware or some crap like that. I say crap because I don't think they're authentic. I say that because they own Field and Stream, which is another retailer that does sell black rifles. For the record, I don't think you should discriminate rifles just because of their pigment. I found it disgusting. All rifles are created equally. Some are more, shoot, more, some are more fun to shoot, but I don't think you should go after one or ban one because of how they look when they're mechanically the same for over a hundred years. But I partially digress. They, they, their stock, ironically, they helped their stock go up a little bit back in the day, but they alienated a huge community. who now not shot there, not just because they don't have that stuff, but also because they've come out as hating guns. So it looks like in terms of the problem, there's another interesting study, which I'll dive into deeper in another episode. But you look at New York alone, New York City, they had 300 people arrested about 4,000 to 6,000 times in a year. They're responsible for a third of all the theft in New York City. Yet they just keep getting out. Now, there's two reasons this keeps happening. The stores don't prosecute anything. So the stores just let customers get away. They tell employees not to do it, which you also blame the insurance companies as well for the policies that they choose. And the district attorney just let them go. Again, this isn't gonna stop until people, until we have a huge cultural shift and actually start to prosecute the bad guys instead of quite literally incentivizing them to do more evil. Do you think this will finally get Dick Sporingus to have maybe armed guards or do, do something to stop the theft? And again, this theft isn't just individuals, it's also employees, you actually have organized crime as well. So you can also probably have something to look at on the inside too if your employees are stealing. You're either hiring the wrong people. Well, actually, no, 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 I was, I was about to say, that is the only issue. You're hiring the wrong people. Will they change? I don't think so. But it'd be interesting to see. Thankfully, I don't own their stock, so no skin off my back that they dropped 24%. Wow. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting where dicks spring goods go from here, but needless to say, I would not want to work with those dicks. Pun moderately intended. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light losing its title of number one beer of the year. To Modelo. It's, a, it's official, folks. Modelo is now the officially America's best-selling beer of the year. Prior, they had been the best-selling beer of the past couple months. Subsequently, after Bud Light brilliantly chose Dill Mulvaney as a brand ambassador and alienated everyone in the community left, right, center as a, that is a business blunder of the century, bar none. And 
This is the first time Odell's ever beaten them for the year for the, the beer of the year. And it's interesting. It looks like it's still because again, Bud Light has some good sales because they were for 20 years the best-selling beer of the month and the year in the United States. A great accomplishment, all destroyed thanks to Alyssa Hirschild. She shall be remembered for her business blunder of the century. Now, because they had those good prior months, so you have January, February, March, three solid months of sales of Bud Light, which previously was number one beer, they had still been in the lead for number, you know, prior, they were still, you know, could be the beer of the year, but now their sales have dropped week after week after week by about 27 to 30% every week on average. It looks like Modelo is landing in place. They gained 8.3 points, uh, 8.34% in market share dollars spent on beer versus the 8.28% for Bud Light. That was through August 12th. So how much will that percentage for Bud Light go down as the average gets dragged down for that the rest of the year? It's going to be a, a pretty penny, I think, because unlike every other boycott we've seen in my lifetime, this one actually has some teeth to it. People are actually taking a stand or rather they're moving their hand eight tenths of an inch to the other beer in the froze in the little grocery aisle that tastes about the same. Or maybe they upgrade, get a yangling, like something like that. Now, it looks like I, I just can't fathom making more of a business mistake. Two decades of work just gone. It's insane. Do you think it'll ever turn that trend around? Let me know in the comments. Is there any cure to this Bud Light business blunder? It'll be interesting to see, but I, I suspect there's nothing they can do at this point. They've lost his customers for good. But let me know if you think differently. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have the still white actress Rachel Zegler, sad that you know she's insufferable beyond all belief. Now, she is the famous actress who's taking over as a live action remake for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Because of course, again, Disney has no original thoughts or ideas. They're a lot like, I'm trying to think of something pejorative in terms of this. They're like, a kid treating on a school assignment, like they have a copy and you just make a copy of a copy and you make a copy of a copy of a copy. And a fun little home experiment, if you take a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy, every time you take a scan and you copy it, the image gets more and more degraded, which is perhaps the most appropriate metaphor for Disney. They don't have any new ideas. They've lost $2 billion this year on their movies. That's how bad, and they used to print money, but Having mediocre stories as well as getting involved in politics isn't great for business. Who would have guessed? Well, perhaps anyone with a modicum of intelligence or, you know, 18 or more brain cells. So she's taking over. And of course, they're butchering the movie. So it, a lot like the female Ghostbusters, it's just the name of the previous property. There's nothing that's going to be around. So apparently the prince is no longer going to be the one who saves her. She actually, Rachel Zegler called the prince from the original film a creepy stalker so there's not gonna be a prince they replaced the seven dwarves with i believe one dwarf and seven normal height people with different genders races and everything which again is ridiculous that's just because of that little douchebag peter dinklage he uh he is a legit dwarf and he thought it was pejorative that they were going to give those roles to legit acting dwarves he said oh yeah it's pejorative you, you think all dwarves live in caves which shows how dumb he is they didn't live in the caves in the original Snow White. They worked in the caves. And that's very pejorative for him to say. There's great many good men who worked in caves actually called coal miners. How dare he be so disrespectful. Now in the movie, the original film, 1930s, they were in the caves going for diamonds, which again, that's a pretty good way to make a living. So they did not live in the caves, Peter Dicklage. They worked there. Although for the record, there's nothing wrong, I suppose, living in a cage, to be politically correct, of course. 
partially digress. I'm kidding, obviously. Now, it looks like everyone has started to notice Rachel Ziegler with all these comments. She's saying, oh yeah, she hated the original film. She, she flip-flopped more than a politician. First she said, oh yeah, she was a big fan. And then she later admitted, oh yeah, I saw it once as a child and once as an adult, I hated it. So of course, like most, pol you know, most politicians and Hollywood folks, she's as hypocritical as all hell. Now, the only good thing that's, well, many good things from coming from this actor, actress, writer strike is they're not supposed to comment on the current films because supposedly it's good for publicity. Although for her, the more she shuts up, the better the movie will do. Because again, a lot of people are just finding her insufferable. She's insulting the original intellectual property. She's admitting that the new one has nothing to do with it. The new, I believe, is a evil stepmom or step queen, whatever the movie. She's actually more attractive than the Snow White. So that whole theory, your whole... The original idea of the book was she was je jealous of her looks, so she poisoned Snow White. In this case, maybe it's reversal. Maybe they're changing the story so much, perhaps Snow White poisons her? I don't know. But it would be as logical as every other decision they've made in Disney. Now, she's recently, Rachel Zegler, she's recently come out with a sweater and it says, quote, no more tears left to cry, unquote. Which is ridiculous for many reasons. First of all, it's a grandma, or this sweater could be best appropriately described as a sweater you'd see a 48-year-old man wearing New Balances mowing his lawn in October. Which, don't get me wrong, hey, I'm on my 17th or 18th pair of New Balance 990s for my workout. Mainly would say, great shoes, by the way. But she's supposed to be an actress and they're supposed to be, you know, fashion-esque. But it's like a dad sweater. And it's long sleeve. And it's really warm where she lives. And she's wearing, I don't know what you call those bloody things, the Lululemon shorts. Not leggings, but like, they stop at the knees. So she's wearing a sweater in hot weather. Now, again, I... I know, expecting her to make a logical decision, I expected too much for her, but it is hilarious how many times she's been caught lying and how, how she just has so much self-pity now. The multimillionaire who's blubbed by 18 idiots. Well, maybe 19, I don't know how many fans she has yet. But again, it just shows you the ridiculous of Hollywood. And ironically enough, the movie will probably do better the less she talks, but it'll be interesting to see, as I always say, time shall tell. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Keanu Reeves being called fat by the same whales who say you must worship Lizzo. Now, this is fascinating, and it is also entertaining to see the hypocrisy of modern society where every magazine, every newspaper, every internet article tells you you must embrace obese, obese women. You must say they're beautiful. You have to say they're beautiful. That, and every marketing advertisement has it. Sports Illustrated put a morbidly obese woman on the cover. You had Dove, the soap company, has all of the gals in their advertising. Now, granted for Dove, that actually is a good idea because they have more, much, much more surface area. So logistically, you'll need a couple bars of soap to do the same job. Also, the same company that owns Dove is Unilever and they own ice cream. So the conspiracy theory about that is, you know, they want them to eat more ice cream, encourage them to eat more ice cream by saying they're beautiful. And that would be sales for the categories of both ice cream as well as deodorant. Conspiracy or new truth? Time shall tell with that regard. But it looks like Keanu Reeves is actually just sitting on a boat with his family and he was wearing khaki swim shorts, which perhaps has a social faux pas. I don't, I, I think I own one pair of khakis in the, in the dustbin somewhere or the closet. But nevertheless, he's John Wick. He can do whatever he wants. And 
he's not even that bad out of shape. He has a little bit of a flab. He's 58 years old and he's not on the job. So he's not filming a Keanu, you know, I was about to say Keanu Reeves movie. Well, every movie about him is basically a Keanu Reeves movie, but I don't think he's, he's not in the middle of shooting John Wick 5 or 4 or whatever they're on now. And you have all the comments, which are hilariously, these are comments made by women. And they're saying that he needs to get in shape. They called him chubby. They said he's one of the only actors who looks better with a shirt on. Now, again, Keanu Reeves is probably one of the few people in Hollywood that actually has a modicum of respect. By all accounts, he's a good guy in terms of just interacting with people. He's humble. He does a lot of charitable work, donating millions of dollars. He Famously, during the John Wick 4 um, rap party, he gave his stuntmen each a custom Rolex. A Rolex is worth more than a car. And he gave it to them, and he didn't have to do that. He just did that to show his appreciation. He's renowned for doing the right thing and making charitable donations to all these sorts of folks. And it is disgusting as well as entertaining to see the hypocrisy where they're actually calling him, he's not that, he had a little bit of a flab. He wasn't morbidly obese like Lizzo or Amy Shamu, I mean Schumer. Those women are hundreds of pounds overweight. They will die and they're proud. I wouldn't call the fact, I wouldn't call the attention to their bodies if they didn't make their whole life defining their life by their bodies. They, Lizzo actually has body positivity sales stuff that she does. And yet she's also morbidly, more, apparently morally vacuous as she has these sexual allegations against her and sexual harassment from her employees. Be, again, we're waiting for the court to rule on that, but that's the allegations as of today. But how hypocritical is society that you have, you have to worship someone who is hundreds of pounds overweight? That's beautiful. But Keanu Reeves, he has a little bit of flab and they're calling him chubby. Really? Perhaps the pinnacle example of the hypocrisy of modern society. Let me know in the comments, who do you think is more attractive? Lizzo? Who again, wears basically no clothing on stage. Shout out to the AV designers and the stage designers because the stage has to be reinforced quite, you know, for the weight. But who do you think is more beautiful, Lizzo or Keanu Reeves? I suspect that vote will be pretty lopsided. But yeah, in terms of culturally speaking, society, we need to get back to having standards. And I thought everyone wanted equality for everyone. That means you call people out left, right, center, fat, skinny, whatever. But yeah, again, more hypocrisy from Hollywood, is, I guess, isn't something we shouldn't be too surprised of. But let me just see, does this change your opinion, Counterese? Because he has a little bit of a, of a, a, a little bit of a gut? No, uh, for me, I suspect, no. He's, he is still Baba Yaga, John Wick. But I partially digress. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek Ramaswamy's plan to drain the swamp. Now, as he gains more and more political momentum, I'm seeing these clips go more and more viral. So he is one of the, I was about to say the forerunner. He's usually in third place, some in second for the Republican nominee. You have Trump, who, depending on what poll you're seeing, he's up by 40% or 40 points in the polls compared to dissent. But it's usually, most of the polls are pretty consistent. You have Trump coming in at number one for Republican nomination. Then you have, somehow, for now, we'll see, you have Ron DeSantis at number two, and you have Vivek Ramaswamy at number three. Now, he recently went in on the Valuetainment podcast, which is probably one of my favorite shows. I absolutely recommend it. They have some great content there. And Vivek went on the show, he talked to him, and this is a little, a couple minutes long, but considering 
the importance of the topic for many people who are concerned about people who are appointed for life in government and have basically no oversight or accountability, I think it's a good topic to address. So I'm going to play that very quick. To follow up on that, you know, for you to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. So when they asked Trump, I think it was Maria Bartiromo that asked him a question saying, hey, you said you're going to drain the swamp, but you didn't do it. You hired Chris Ray. You hired this guy. You hired that guy. He says, well, looking back, I regret the hire here. Chris Christie told me about this. I don't really know the people there. I'm a real estate guy. I'm a New York guy. This is not something I know about. So what do you say to the Republican voter that's sitting there saying, Vivek, we love the way you're coming up. Listen, we love your messaging, your passion, your youth. But why would we reelect a person that definitely has no experience in the White House? Who are you going to hire? Who are you going to fire? You don't know these guys. Who are you going to put in the office to say, well, I'm going to fire this guy and I'm going to bring this guy and I'm going to bring that guy? You don't have any experience with these guys in the swamp. So what do you say to those guys that don't trust who you're going to hire. They like you, but you can't fix everything. How do you, how do you address that? And then in terms of the background, Vivek was an entrepreneur in the pharmaceutical industry, his family coming from India, pretty much achieving the American dream. And he's also a published author, author as well. So look, I think I'm the best shot we got. And, and I'm, nobody's perfect, but I'm also going to build on the foundation laid by Trump. I actually think, let's be really clear, I think that there's a lot he didn't do that we would have wanted. Now, politically speaking, in terms of moves on the chessboard, brilliant. He's doing brilliantly right here. He's making sure he doesn't insult the Trump voters because there are a lot of people who adamantly believe in Donald Trump and they're going to vote for him no matter what. Now, again, depending on the circumstances, if Trump is in jail or what the, depending on how the government pursues him, he may not be a candidate. Some are calling it banana republic. Hard to argue with that. And if he cannot run, appealing to his audience is still a prudent idea because, again, you want to gather those votes. But I think he did more than any president in the 21st but century. That's not so what I'm asking, though. That's not what I'm so asking. So how are we going to actually bring the people in, is the question. You, you don't so have contacts starting. there. Okay. Well, we're already starting, actually. How? So I'm starting now. I mean, we already published our list of federal judges, for example. The judges we'd appoint to the Supreme Court. The judges that will appoint to the appellate courts. So what did I look at? So my view is the U.S. president already has the legal authority to fire large numbers of employees in the federal government. This tripped up Trump. This is the difference between me and Trump, actually, is I think the people around him didn't do him a service by spouting the traditional establishment orthodoxy to him. What did they say? He wanted to fire people. They said, no, you can't do it because there's these civil service protections that stop you as the president from firing employees. Well, I suggest read the law. Turns out that civil service protections only apply to firing individual civil servants. They do not apply to mass layoffs. And mass layoffs are absolutely what I am bringing to the federal bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. And so you gotta have, at once, a president who is an outsider, is a CEO, understands that if somebody works for you and you can't fire them, that means they don't work for you. It means you work for them because you're responsible for what they do without any authority to change it. Me and Trump both have that. But it's a separate piece of this, which is an outsider who also has a deep understanding of the Constitution. And Hannibal asked the question, I'm grateful he read my three books. So other, if other people want to, you can check out the same thing. I understand the laws in the Constitution of this country. Many of the passages from my book have been quoted in. Interestingly enough, I can't help but think, how many people in Washington really have read the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, or any of the documents by the Founding Fathers? Have any of them read the Federalist Papers? 
or anything. I can't help but doubt most of them have not. Appellate court cases in the last three years about actually big tech censorship being suppressed, government action. And so that's the combination, Patrick, that will allow me to declare independence from the managerial swamp class. That's the advisors. And then on the practical side of this, we're already starting. We've got a project led by business leaders right. who I've known for a long time, already recruiting for positions, not just the cabinet level, who's running the Office of Management and Budget, who's running the Office of Personnel Management. Do you have HR. specific names? We do. We're, we have lists that we're working down and winnowing down, absolutely. And, and Far who, earlier than Trump started. Fine. So who are these people that are helping you process issues? I understand as a yep. founder CEO, we both run a company, and there's a yep. reason why we have a board. The board's kind of helping you with the blind spots that you have. So Trump chose Christie as an advisor, right? Yep. Christie wasn't a VP, but Chris Christie is the reason why we got Chris Ray, and we're dealing with uh, what the DOJ is doing to Trump, you know, indictment, 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 back to back to back. Trump hired that person, right? Who's in your ear to help you pick the right people in these different positions? It's not Chris Christie. I'll okay. tell you that. So, who, who? so, so it's, it's a group of people, some of whom are ex-government, Many of whom, though, are really smart people who are not in government. And I have a strong bias towards that. I think it will take somebody who has a fresh perspective to actually understand who's going to be a bulldog in that role. Here's the mistake Trump made. Right? You take those two positions I just mentioned, the Office of Management and Budget. That's like the CFO of the executive branch. And the Office of Personnel Management. That's like the head of HR in the executive branch. You know, a lot of presidents make the mistake of putting in people in those roles who are mediators. They're almost like ambassadors for the administrative state back to the U.S. president. Useless. I don't want an ambassador useless, for the administrative state. Useless yes man, you mean? I want a bulldog who is going in there with a fundamentally anti-government bias to see through my directive to fire large numbers of employees and shut down agencies that shouldn't exist. Now, here's the twist in that. We will get sued when we do this, right? People who are fired are going to say, no, no, we're going to sue you. We're going to take you to court. This is good. Because the current Supreme Court, which I have studied, which I give Trump credit for, he gave us a great Supreme Court. The justices I filtered for sure. also fit the same description. They agree with me on this six to three. So what do we do then? Then we win. Now we're driving real long-term change because the next president who comes after me won't have his hands tied in the same way. And so, yes, I think it is a unique combination of somebody who is an outsider, who has been an entrepreneur or an executive or somebody who has led major businesses, created thousands of jobs, but also somebody who has a constitutional... But you didn't do it. You ...who has led major businesses, constitutional depth to be able to act with conviction without what the managerial class tells them. And that's what gives me a sense of obligation to do this. Patrick. Okay, so if you like this... So that was pretty damn good for a political interview. Usually most of them acquiesce from every question and they kind of keep it broad. I think one of the reasons we're seeing Vivek increase in popularity, not just in some of the polls, but also online, is he actually tells people how he's going to get stuff done, which if he can quantify that, it makes it a lot more easy to hold these people responsible. Once they get elected, people will ask, well, why didn't you do this? You said you were going to you know, get more jobs or get more gun rights. And they just say, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. You know, the Congress, you know, stuff like this, that. And they, they come up with, you know, usually BS excuses. But if you know from the beginning, their exact game plan is pretty, it's a lot easier to hold them accountable. You're going to ask them, why do you do A, B, and C? If that didn't work, you better have a backup plan. What's your backup plan? What is it going to A, B, C, A, A, D? What, what are you going to do? So I think 
that, as well as the fact that you say you read documents by the founding fathers, which nowadays I don't even think public school, well, public schools are a category in and of itself, but we have history scores at all time low, I'm not surprised. But if you actually read documents by the founding fathers, he'd probably be one of a handful if he makes it to Washington. And I think that's another reason people are starting to believe in him more and more and give him more support. And it'll be interesting to see can't, how quickly could he pass DeSantis in these polls? I've only, again, I've seen the one poll where he did pass DeSantis, but how close can you get, or how much does DeSantis need to screw up in order to move down the polls so Vivek could surpass him? It'll be interesting to see, I, I see more and more of a public perception shifting towards Vivek, especially online, but let me know in the comments, has your perception of Vivek changed in the past six months? Does he look like a better candidate than DeSantis? Could he beat Trump? That's, there's a lot of speculation about that. It'll be interesting to see. I know a lot of people in the comments earlier in my other videos, they, I suggested that he might be going for a VP position. And Vivek, Vivek publicly has said he doesn't want to be VP, he's going for president. Again, that's what, they, that's what everyone says. And they have to say, because as soon as they say they're not in it to win it, the donations will just dry up immediately. So I understand he's not saying that. And the, the career bureaucrat, that's what they're doing. They're they're running so they can get a cabinet position. They're running so they can get um, maybe VP or something like that. And Vivek does have a business background, but he separated himself from his major pharmaceutical company a couple of years back. And it was actually before he woke, wrote uh, the book, Woke Inc., where he talks about the conflict of interest between businesses and becoming activist. So I can't help but think, it seems like he really wants to make a difference in politics. I think he's either going to use this as a springboard for another position or he will because he's being very clever with his positions with Trump. He's not insulting Trump. He's praising him when appropriate. So I think it is really a compelling reason to have him be a VP. He's also from Iowa. Oh, sorry. Uh, almost, I was going to say, almost as good as Iowa. Ohio. That's a pretty good state to have in terms of a VP. You want a couple of states that are close or or uh, our flip states, or swing states rather, where they go back and forth between the parties every couple of years. Florida is pretty locked in for Trump. He needs something, someone I think more in the Midwest and more around those areas who can spend more time to also geographically. Another thing Trump needs to think about, whoever he picks as a VP or as a running mate, they need to be campaigning the hell out of it because right now, as the books still stand, Trump's gonna be locked into court dates in states that are not much swing states. So his time and resources are getting locked up. So he needs to be very strategic with his VP pick. In my three cents, Vivek would be a very good, very, I think that'd be a very strategic move on the chessboard, so to say. Let me know in the comments. Do you think he'd be a good running mate? It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Now, other political news, you have Trump getting the endorsement from Alaska's governor. Now this is Alaska governor, Mike Delaney, and he's endorsing Donald Trump and this is coming as most Republican governors have been a little hesitant to endorse anyone this early in the race. And there are a couple that are worried about his legal issues as well. Now, that's not saying too much as most Republican governors usually are. Most Republican leaders, unfortunately, kind of acquiesce for most responsibility or action, which I was going to say, again, follow your politicians. If they don't do what they claim they're going to do, vote them out and just get someone who actually will do the job, which is a rare thing to find these days. Now, it looks like of the current 26 GOP governors, only five have weighed in. They've had two endorsed DeSantis. It looks like you had North Dakota as well. Uh, two DeSantis and North Dakota Governor Doug Burham are running. And Trump received the support of South Carolina Governor Henry McAllister. 
then West Virginia Governor Jim Justice and Dunleavy. Now, it looks like DeSantis has the backing of Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, which is pretty interesting. Oklahoma, historically speaking, has been pretty red, um, voting Republican throughout the years. And I'm surprised with the current polls of Trump being so much in the lead, how they didn't choose Trump already, and they instead chose to go to DeSantis. And it looks like former Vice President Mike Pence, who is running for reasons, he has the support of his only his home state, um, Indiana's Governor Eric Holcomb has actually endorsed DeSantis, which, again, DeSantis is, DeSantis is number two in the polls. That's what that's what he's known for right now. His popularity has precipitously been dropping. He's had a couple of social faux pas. His campaign has done terribly on Twitter and other social media outlets. So a lot of the excitement that was there before he, ironically, is almost more popular before he officially announced than when he was actually running. Let me know in the comments if you, you feel different about DeSantis' campaign. But it looks like Trump's, this isn't too much of a surprise in terms of Trump's relationship with the Alaska governor, Mr. Dunleavy. It actually stretches back to 2018. And that's when he endorsed Trump for the first race. Trump then, in his turn, he actually turned around and endorsed Delaney during his 2019 election when he was facing a recall attempt. And then again in 2022 when Delaney was up for re-election. So not too surprising to see Trump get another win in terms of an endorsement. Now it'll be interesting to see there's a lot of silent GOP governors, how many of them are going to continue to acquiesce from making the decision? I know in terms of politics, we're still very early in the race and things change all the time when it comes to presidential, even midterm elections. But in terms of Trump's legal case, a lot of people are speculating if they all endorsed him and everyone backed out, so Trump was the only one running, legally speaking, it'd be harder to prosecute him because you'd be de facto banning an entire side in politics because there'd be no one representing the Republican, the Republican Party. Now, that's an interesting legal theory that I've heard on a couple of outlets from podcasts, but it would also require humans to do something they're not very well known for is self-sacrifice and actually doing something for the common good, which again, that that's what it would take in terms of their perspectives and why they would back out. Now, most of them are career politicians, so the odds of that are zero percent. Exactly zero percent. So that is a pie in the sky kind of legal theory, but it is interesting to see how his court cases are playing out and what his options are going to be going forward as the cases, no matter how legit or how legitimate people think they are, say they are, the cases are being he's up for the charges. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But he did get that endorsement. How much that'll help long term? Be interesting, as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Food Lion recalling some contaminated vegetables. Now, apparently they're actually recalling some of their frozen vegetables because they're subject to recall because of the potential contamination with Asteria monoglinchins. Now, it looks like the Food Lion company recalled specifically for their frozen sweet corn and frozen mixed vegetables after they had touched show Asteria monochiogenins. Perhaps the only surprise here is that they didn't sell it at Trader Joe's, which They've had seven or nine different recalls this year. So th this is somewhat interesting. It's, it's a food product not recalled from a Trader Joe's store. Although it'd be hilarious if they like, just signed a contract right now to be a supplier, but uh, I'm just speculating here. But yeah, in terms of having a business butter when your food is contaminated, so you know that you're the food lion. You're supposed to be proud, roar, strong. And yet, in terms of having a recall and damaging your brand, it makes it more, perhaps more look like a bunny. Well, maybe a, a tame cat would be more appropriate of a metaphor. But 
yeah, to have contaminated food when your only job is to make safe food for people to eat, that's, that's, you got, you had one job and, uh, didn't work out too well. So you to say that is the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Again, we're trying to get to 3000 subscribers by the end of August. So you can click that button. I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, all the likes and the comments help out the channel as well. Not just with the feedback as it helps me become more proficient at the job and make the show more entertaining and higher quality, but also helps with the algorithm and gets the videos shared more often. So you get more views. And the more we build it up, the better the quality we'll be able to get. Also, don't get to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.